Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Today's episode is an interview with author Jewel Parker Rhodes, who has written award-winning titles for both children's and adult readers, Her most recent title, Towers Falling, is coming out in July, and it's all about how this class of elementary students learned about 9-11 and dealing with emotional problems, uh, explaining difficult situations and things like this to middle school people who may not have been around uh, during the time of the events. One of the really wonderful things about this job is I get to interview a bunch of fantastic authors who I might not have known about without doing these interviews. And I just have to say, Jewel was one of those people. Uh, She's absolutely captivating and she's wonderful. She is theatrical and emotional and it was just a joy to get to speak with her. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy everything she has to say. Um, She's a very strong proponent of diversity in books and um, explaining these difficult situations to children and she does it in such a way that is incredibly impactful and moving both for young readers and old alike. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, Jewel was wonderful to talk to. I think you'll very much enjoy everything she has to say. Um, Jewel, if you're out there listening, thank you so much for sitting down with us. You are my new best friend and I hope I get to speak with you very soon. For all of our listeners out there, if you want to give us feedback, you can do so by emailing feedback at overdrive.com. Jill and I read every single one of those emails. You can also give us feedback uh, in iTunes by rating the podcast. If you want to give us five stars, that'd be wonderful. You can leave comments in the podcast pages there as well. Um, You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and anywhere you would normally try to find us. Again, this is the last of our interviews that we did at PLA in Denver, so you might hear some background noise, um, but it shouldn't be too bad. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, So once again, thank you for listening to the Professional Book Nerds podcast, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jewel Parker Rhodes. Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive, and I'm at the Public Library Association conferences in Denver. And today I am joined by Jewel Parker Rhodes, who is an award-winning author of Voodoo Dreams, Magic City, Douglas Women, Season, Moon, Hurricane, and the children's book, Ninth Ward. Uh, She's written several other children's books, which is what we're going to talk about today, including Sugar and Bayou Magic. And her latest, Tower Falling, is coming out in July. And her honors include the American Book Award, the Coretta Scott King Award, the National Endowment of Arts Award in Fiction, and the Black Caucus of American Library Award for Literacy Excellence. It's a mouthful. Jewel, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm absolutely delighted, Adam. This makes me so happy. 
Well, we are incredibly happy to have you here. So like I said, we're going to talk about some of your children's books today. And before you ever wrote anything for children, you were an award-winning author for adults. Yes. So what made you decide to start writing children's books, starting with The Ninth Ward? Well, I always wanted to write children's books. Mm -hmm. I mean, children's books saved my life. Um, And so actually, I was writing adult books, getting ready to become... To write for children. I was working on becoming good enough. (laughs) And I actually would talk to my agent all the time and say, I'm going to write a children's book. And he'd say, okay, whenever you're ready, Mm -hmm. go ahead and send it to me. So 10 years went by, (laughs) 20 years went by. And then I actually had an adult novel that came out the day that Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I was in the city on book tour. And of course, nobody came to see me. (laughs) You know, they had other problems to worry about. I totally understood, but I think um, I knew then that I finally found a subject Mm -hmm. uh, to write about, and so that I was ready to fulfill my dream to be a children's book book author. And so your children's books really seem to be about helping young readers relate to important events in the past, and whether it's Sugar, which is with surrounding themes of of slavery, and Ninth Ward, of course, as you just mentioned, with Hurricane Katrina, and then your latest novel, Towers Falling, is 9-11. Is this something that you're actively thinking about when you're selecting topics? Are you, is it like a concerted effort to try and find topics that you think children should be learning about? Nope, it's not. <laughs> um, whenever I write a book, it's like usually something like a voice mm-hmm. or an article that I've read sure. or just even sometimes an image will strike me right. and it then just burrows into my heart mm-hmm. and it'll stay there for a while. So for example, Sugar, mm-hmm. I had an article that a friend had sent me about Chinese workers working on the sugarcane right. plantation. And I thought it was going to be an adult novel. But then one day I was doing dishes mm-hmm. and I saw out of the corner of my eye this little black girl who had her hands on her hips saying, if I'm supposed to be free, then how come I can't play? Absolutely. And all of a sudden then I had her voice and she was there. Mm-hmm. And I think with Hurricane Katrina, the Ninth Ward book, I had been there so many years because I've written five books about New Orleans Mm -hmm. that it just broke my heart and I had to open it up Mm -hmm. but also as a young mom I had been in the California earthquake Mm -hmm. and my children were little so I knew what it was like to rely on you know FEMA I knew what it was like to um, you know be traumatized by natural events so it just called to me Mm -hmm. but I generally and this is where it's going to change I generally never ever write a book that I'm not just passionate about that somehow it just hits my soul, mm-hmm. and my books have long gestation periods, sure. except for <laughs> Towers Falling. Right. And my um, editor said, you know, she had seen a 60 Minutes interview mm-hmm. talking about the museum and how many kids were born post 9-11. Right. And she says, Joel, do you ever think you want to write about that? And I went, no way. <laughs> no way. That's too hard. Right. Too hard emotionally. Too hard technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it started burrowing into my heart. Yeah. And I really felt as though I, I had to tell the story yeah. and it became a passion. I didn't know when I started my writing career that what I really like is historical fiction. Mm -hmm. I was just an English major, and I didn't know much about history, but I'm always writing for what I don't know. So I like the investigation, Mm -hmm. the research, the exploring, um, and then if I get the character, the voice, then I'm good to go. But Towers Falling is actually uh, an unusual book in that it was recommended by my editor, but it grabbed my soul just as all my other stories have. 
Well, it grabbed mine as well. It's oh, thank absolutely you. fantastic. Thank you. Um, so back at the American Library Association conference uh, in Boston earlier this year, I interviewed an author who, much like yourself, is very involved with the importance of diversity in literature. Um, her name is actually Marie Niekamp, and she said that she wanted to make sure, regardless of people's you know, background, ethnicity, or how they identify as a person, you should always be able to find books in which you can see yourself in a character. So is just if you could touch on why you feel it's so important to have these beautifully diverse young characters in your stories. Well, I think everybody has a story that ought to be shared. Everybody ought to be able to see themselves. And the damage of not seeing yourself can be considerable. Right. So, for example, I almost lost my profession. When I was growing up, I grew up on Dick and Jane, okay? Mm-hmm. with a, the little And the little dog named Spot. And if you need read Ninth Ward, I actually have a dog named Spot yeah. who's not like Spot. <laughs> of Dick and Jane. It's a different kind of spot. Sure. Um, but I wrote all the time, mm-hmm. and yet I never thought that I could be a writer. Mm-hmm. No teacher ever thought that I could be a writer or said, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was a junior, a junior in college, that I saw my first book that was written by a black woman. And I immediately switched my major from theater mm-hmm. to, to English, and I started writing my stories. Mm-hmm. But then in class, because I was the only African-American or person of color in the class, yeah. people would say, well, why didn't you tell me your characters were black? And I'd go, well, why don't you tell me your characters are white? But actually, I discovered that I had learned how to read white, Mm -hmm. that I had expected, you know, this white world, unless I was told otherwise, the characters was white. So the damage that does to somebody culturally Mm -hmm. makes it very hard to have a secure confident voice Mm -hmm. and I worked on that and I'm actually part of the generation that you know uh, helped shepherd black studies into the college system so it took me a very long time to find my community and write a voice Mm -hmm. and so one of the things I'd like to make a distinction about though is I think that all people are just people with hearts minds and spirits so of course all those books that i read about white characters i identified with them as long as they were character driven stories Mm -hmm. that when they were talking about their emotions and their thoughts i'm a human too or like you know sojourner ain't i a woman so i'm a kid too ain't i a kid and so those stories did help me with my empathy but because i didn't see myself Mm -hmm. i almost lost my profession so what i'd like to do now in the whole world is to write stories that are always Mm multi-ethnic. They'll have whites, Cajuns, Vietnamese, Chinese, African-Americans, because I think the young kids today are creating a world that's going to be so much more inclusive and so much more diverse and seeing yourself boosts your self-esteem, but more importantly, it gives power to the fact that you, from your culture, has a story worth telling, regardless of what it is, whether it's Muslim, whether it's Turkish, whether it's uh, Native American. So being empowered to tell the narrative of your culture and share it with other people, I firmly believe will make the world a better place. And I really love how you use diversity and towers falling because you have all of these different young children who the readers will meet, who they do all come from different backgrounds. And you just kind of very matter-of-factly state, like, you know, this person is Muslim, this person is African-American, and it's not an issue for the children. Because I think if, as a kid, you just meet people, you don't inherently hate anyone. You just you just see yourself as a child, and the way that you just very simply introduce these characters, and it was just like, they're a group of friends, and uh, that's all they are is they're people. I thought that was just 
it was just perfect. Oh, Adam, thank you so much. But I've got to give credit to PS 146 in New York. Right. So I actually researched a real school that had a wall of windows, and they saw the entire 9-11 event. They saw the planes hitting the towers. Mm -hmm. And at the school, it was like a United Nations. And the kids were my hosts, and they took me around. You know, and there were Muslims, there were um, uh, Native Americans, there were Africans. Mm -hmm. And so they were, I thought, you know, the, the, the ideal yeah. America. Absolutely. Uh, and they had walls about where do we come from. And so in that sense, uh, I was responding to, as you said, let kids be kids. Exactly. And what they'll do is like, they'll embrace you as a friend. And kids are so smart because they know it's better to have more friends than Absolutely. less. And so it's like, they're going to embrace everybody. Yeah. Yes. So that was, that was my inspiration for Towers Falling. Okay. And so what is your writing process like? Are you someone who, needs to spend every single morning writing or is it just kind of when inspiration hits you what is your process i'm i'm a weirdo i think (laughs) um you know when i started out i used to try to write four you know to six hours a day um because that's what all the stories about male writers i was told did right but you know, maybe they were like locked away in an office mm-hmm. or they had help to take care of him or a wife. I don't know. Yeah. But I had dishes, laundry, <laughs> two kids, uh, challenging pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And be- being a mom was very important to me. Mm-hmm. So what I would start doing is I would start writing in the middle of the night when everybody was asleep because I didn't want to take time away from the kids, you know. Sure. But as I've gotten older and the kids are now grown and I'm going to be a grandmother, <laughs> um, I sort of write every day if I can Mm -hmm. but if I can't I don't like beat myself up Mm -hmm. Uh, if I write a half an hour and I get something good out of it I'm happy you know and when I write I'll write a little bit and I'll go do dishes write a little bit then I'll walk out into the garden Mm -hmm. write a little bit you know so I become much more kinder to myself but first and foremost I need to hear the voice Mm -hmm. and once I hear the voice I can tell it. And it's like the African-American oral tradition. All my books have this empowered eye voice of a young child telling their story. And so that becomes the the through line for telling a story. But I also count dreaming as writing. Sure. And I also count like sometimes in the middle of the night, it'll be like, bam, and I'll get, oh, that's what I should do. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. So. I really live with the stories, but I don't get into like word count. I don't get mm-hmm. into hours. I get into have what I've written pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you write the first time, I hate the blank page. Oh. I can't. Oh my God. It's like, just, just like, ah, kill me. You know, yeah. the blank page. It's so hard. So mm-hmm. I love re, I love revision. Mm-hmm. And while I can take a slow time in the beginning, as I get closer and closer to the end, then I can put in 16-hour days. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you're running a marathon and you're saving yourself. And then you're doing that last big burst. Um, but I love my baby books. They're, they're important to yeah. me. I, I, will, I, w- I will say that I completely agree with you. A empty word document is like the most intimidating thing. So I can appreciate that. Um, okay, so getting back to the Towers Falling. was an event that obviously forever changed our world and and our country. And Anyone who was around, that that day is burned in their memory. I can still remember the high school classes I was in and the conversations we had with our our other students and with our teachers telling us how they went through tragedies when they were growing up. Everything is just very burnt into my brain. 
And it's, it is strange to me to think about the fact that there are people now alive who are teenagers who weren't alive when that all happened. So I know that you mentioned that this came from your editor, but what made you decide that you could take this on 15 years later? And was it just the inspiration from everything you saw in New York or well, it's a big topic? It, yes, it is a big topic. And I did think about it for months and I also thought that there are so many schools now that don't even teach 9 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even at PS 146, the student, the teachers admitted that they were traumatized and they had difficulty talking about it. So, like in third grade, they do a unit where they teach the kids about New York City and they show them pictures. Yeah. And the kids immediately say, Well, what happened to the towers? Why aren't they there now? Right. And the teachers kind of admitted that it was hard for them to, to explain that mm-hmm. to the kids. So, I like to write books that a teacher can use in the class. I love to write books that entertain kids on on their own. And I also felt called, I think, as a a citizen. Mm -hmm. So Deja, I think, was really the key. Deja's family uh, is homeless because she doesn't know her father is a survivor of 9-11. Deja is poor. Deja has very little and has a lot lot of anger. And she doesn't understand how... You know the world around her connects to her. Right. So one of the things yeah. I wanted to sh- to show is that if I could take Deja and show, no, it matters to you because mm-hmm. it matters to you as an American. Right. So even though there are issues still of social justice, there are issues of discrimination, mm-hmm. there are issues of of sexism, there there are issues that we need to address Absolutely. inequality. You know that yeah. that. One of the things that makes our country so great is that fundamentally we come together as Americans. And that's been resilience that has shaped us from, you know, the founding of our nation through the Civil War, through World War II. And so I think that this little girl was key. And she's she was able to say, yeah, I'm an American. And all the other things that she might work for to make society a better place, she also knows that she is in the best place to make it a better place. Absolutely. She is in America, mm-hmm. and she's an American citizen. Right. And I will say, the way that you handle throughout the book kind of slowly revealing the story of 9-11, I think that's really, it's very realistic with the way people would want to treat teaching this, you know, this tragedy I don't want to say you handled it with kid gloves because you didn't. You absolutely taught the main characters, you know, Deja especially, who very angry and like you said, she's very frustrated. But it, it feels like in a way an actual curriculum would be taught. And so I know that you mentioned that you did the research with the actual school, but was this the way that they were teaching 9-11? It's kind of slowly... No, it wasn't the way that they were teaching 9-11 because mm-hmm. I... They, they weren't teaching 9-11, but it was influential in talking, in, in talking to me about how they teach the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they, and they also admitted that some people did not want their fifth graders to be taught the Holocaust. Sure. Like today, some people don't want their kids to be taught about 9-11. Right. And so they start with very concrete things, and I apologize, I can't remember the book now, but I think it was a book called Hannah's Suitcase. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how this little girl's world was reduced to what would you put in a suitcase that you just absolutely had to keep to remind you of your identity mm-hmm. uh, during this time when you were being stripped of right. so much identity because mm-hmm. of the Holocaust? So that was where the idea that I got the suitcase and the idea that you would start with the concrete. And in Towers Folly, they start with the idea 
home. And of course, Deja doesn't want to draw a picture of her homeless shelter room. That's not home. Right. And then her little brother and little sister make paper dolls that are all holding hands. And the teacher says, isn't that home? And it's right. The connections between people. Buildings don't really contain the American spirit, you know. So that idea of building blocks and also at BS146 and other schools, the curriculum is multidisciplinary. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you would want to build a, you know, a foundation or, you know, try to build a tower in class to yeah. understand how do towers work. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it makes you realize how extraordinary it was mm-hmm. for those towers to fall down, you know. And so, uh, and in, and in singing music class, singing My Country Tis of Thee or, or Woody Guthrie's, you know, This Land is My Land. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole integrated curriculum that was based on how the school teaches at PS 146. Okay, so... Given that Overdrive is a library company, one of my favorite questions to ask every author I interview is, do you have a favorite or a first memory about a library that you either had growing up or maybe you spent time with your children? Just Is there something that you look back and think of fondly about libraries? You know, in... In one sense, that's a very hard question for me. Mm-hmm. I was born in a ghetto in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sure. Um, my grandmother, who raised me, never finished elementary school. Mm-hmm. Books were not necessarily a part of my world. Mm-hmm. And yet, I know in my elementary school that there was a librarian, and heaven forfend, I cannot remember her, I can't see her. Sure. And it's simply because a lot of my childhood, because it was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, I just have blocked out I just mm-hmm. simply don't remember sure. but there was a librarian who fed me books mm-hmm. and every week there were new books for me to read mm-hmm. she taught me the love of learning and it was also that sense of when I wanted presents for Christmas I would ask for books yeah. and so my family started calling me the little professor and nobody <laughs> actually knew I would grow up to be a professor I'm yeah. a professor at Arizona State yeah. so I don't I don't remember this person I don't remember and there were lots not just the librarian but teachers and other people along the way but it's almost in a way the force the librarian the force will be with you the force will be good and as a child I didn't know that they were changing my destiny Mm -hmm. the destiny for my children and now my children's children but there was a librarian who fed my spirit when I would have been crushed. I think in my family, um, a lot of people ended up in jail. A lot of people got involved in crack addiction. Mm-hmm. A lot of people ended up in, in teenage pregnancies. And so that's why I also say that for der- I mean, character-driven stories, mm-hmm. even though they weren't reflecting me as an African-American child, in terms of the empathy and the fact that there were horizons in the world, those stories mattered too. Mm-hmm. All stories matter. So librarians, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Um, And I think that's what is probably most true to life. We maybe don't exactly remember the name. And it's the the idea that you have all these men and women who are doing things because they love to do them. Mm -hmm. And they never get to see the the impact necessarily. So here's a shout out. Thank you, librarians. And actually, I'm going to cry because... um, I carry the spirit of all of you with me. Thank you very, very, very much. That's wonderful. So on a lighter note. Yes, so lighter I note. Don't, so I, don't get, you too I get emotional. emotional. I get okay. <laughs> so how, when you're not writing your novels, what type of books do you like to read? Are you, are you more focused on 
are the things that you're going to be teaching as a professor, uh-huh. or is it more reading for enjoyment? Just what are some of the books that you're oh, a fan of? Oh, a little, a little bit of everything. Sure. So I just want to say that when I was writing all those adult novels, mm-hmm. I never ever stopped reading children's books. Right. We actually brought children's books for my husband and I for our children before they were even born. Love we that. used to sit on the couch and we would. <laughs> Read books to our dog. Yeah. We had a little Shetland sheep dog, and my in-laws thought we were absolutely bananas. Um, everything, Woodward Kipling, you know, Goodnight Moon, mm-hmm. Where the Wild Things, and one of my all-time favorites, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. And then when the kids got older, um, my my husband and I would fight over who would read the stories, and he won because uh, he told them beautifully. So, uh, you know, Tolkien, Lloyd Alexander's The Book of Three, mm-hmm. and we all kept reading and reading. In my profession, I read a lot of African-American literature and a lot of contemporary literature to teach other students how to write creatively. I'm a big fan of science fiction and fantasy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like mysteries and thrillers. Um, And actually, lately, I've been very much into um, books about social justice. So I've been reading a book on eviction and how evictions help families. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been reading books on uh, race and class. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been also reading, well, and I'm reading those books because I'm getting ready for another book that's kind of like a heavy duty book uh-huh. about um, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then I'm also reading um, books about medicine, Atul Gumwad's book on being mortal, uh, and when breath becomes air, about this this doctor who, you know, went through his residency but always wanted to have time to write a book, and then in his residency, he's you know. He, he, he gets ill and he, and he dies mm-hmm. and he doesn't finish the book. So I'm sort of, I think, right now into a lot of books that um, are helping me think about what do I want to do with the last few decades of my life and how do I want to make a difference in the world. That's always been important for me to break down race, class, gender, religious, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, sexual isms yeah. um, and embrace it. But for me... I want to keep writing books to make the world better. Mm-hmm. I want to keep growing so that maybe I become more enlightened um, as I become, you know, mistral, as mm-hmm. I become uh, a grandmother. But I read anything and everything. I don't discriminate. Mm-hmm. I, there is no high art or low art. It's yeah. just good stories. But I will say this. If a story doesn't grab me after like four or five chapters, mm-hmm. I set it aside. Sure. There are too many books in the world and too little right. time. So I don't ever finish a book because I have to. Mm-hmm. But I can read about, you know, five to six books a week wow. just easily. I just, I just... Oh, I just love it. What can I say? Well, that, that's, you're in the right place. It's yeah, perfect. I know. Librarian. Yeah. Woo! Okay, so I have just one more question for you. What do you hope readers take away from Falling Towers when they get their hands on it? It, uh, it sounds sappy to say love, but that's true. Yeah. It, is, it is, you know, love of country, mm-hmm. love of self, love of friends, love of community, um, you know, that sort of embracing of all the inclusiveness. And that's the thing that I think will keep our country strong and great and provide resilience in our kids. Because, you know, an average fifth grader, and that's why I love fifth graders. Fifth graders give the best hugs. But the average fifth grader in eight years will be able to vote, be able to go to college or go to work, be able to sort of sign up for the service and risk their minds, their bodies, their lives in service of our country. And so they, they need to know that they have a whole nation, whole national spirit behind them that they can draw source 
you know, a source of can draw strength from. You know, it's a it's a it's a source of of strength. Um, so. I guess I guess that's it. I, this is the first time anybody's ever asked me that question, so I'm gonna. I'll probably have a better answer as soon as we stop talking. That's okay. Um, but yeah, towers, towers falling. Um, it's it's a love song to being an American. I think that's a perfect place to end, Jill. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Thank you.